everyone. This is Kina Wolfenstein, and you're listening to the Complex Trauma Recovery Podcast. In this series of episodes, I have been interviewing other therapists about their expertise, specifically focusing on exploring different styles of experiential and bottom-up modalities. Today, my guest is Jessica Frick, and we're going to be talking about reparenting. But before I read her bio and introduce her, just a few other announcements. My link tree is posted in the podcast description, and when you click on it, you'll find access to multiple workshops that I've done, my Patreon, my practice website, a bunch of other resources. I have a new workshop coming up on August 6th from 2 to 3.30 Central Time, all about inner child healing and parts work for CPTSD, so I would love to see some people sign up for that. I'm really excited about it. And I also have two new colleagues that have joined my practice that I'm trying to help just get their name out there and help them connect with clients that are going to be a good fit for them. So we have a therapist accepting clients in Texas and another therapist accepting clients in Missouri. And both of them are also passionate about experiential trauma-informed therapy, being trained in coherence therapy. So in my link tree, you'll find my practice website and you can read their bios there and see if they might be a good fit for you. All right, thank you for listening, and here is Jessica's bio. Jessica Frick is a counselor in Erie, Pennsylvania, who specializes in working with the adult children of emotionally immature parents. Jessica uses acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT for short, to help her clients connect with their emotional selves, allow judgment to fade to the background, and to live a valuable, fulfilling life, whether or not that includes their parents. Jessica provides therapy in person in Erie and telehealth across the state. Jessica also provides telehealth services to Florida residents. If you're interested in working with Jessica, you can go to Metamorphosis Council net and that will be posted in the podcast description again and click get started um, you can also find her on tiktok at therapy underscore with underscore jess all right enjoy the episode this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage no matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Okay, awesome. Hi, Jessica. Thank you for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to pick your brain today. So um, let's just start with kind of an introduction. So can you talk a little bit about the, the work that you do and what your focus is? Yeah, so um, I primarily work with uh, adults uh, in the millennial age range, I like to say like 25 to like Mm 45-ish, who have kind of gotten to the point where they're realizing their emotional health is not where they want it to be, um, and they want to kind of figure it out. Um, Usually that means that there's been some emotional abuse or neglect in their past. Um, Not always, but that's kind of the common thread. Uh, And so we work to try to kind of help them learn to handle their emotions in a way that fits better with their values in their lives. Yeah. And that's reparenting, right? Right. Essentially just kind of giving yourself what your parents didn't give you. Cool. Yes. I I love reparenting work. Um, Is there a difference between reparenting and inner child work or do they really like go hand in hand in your experience? Um, I think they're pretty much the same kind of aspect. I think that inner child work is an aspect of reparenting in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, 
just because you're working with your inner child, but also now you're an adult. And so you have adult thoughts and adult, adult feelings that you kind of have to integrate with that inner child. And so reparenting to me is, is working with that, but also kind of in this moment being your own parent that your parents didn't do to, do for you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like, um, inner child work is maybe more kind of processing things from the past. And then it's kind of more like present oriented. Like, what does it look like to show up for myself today and like be a good parent for myself today? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Cool. Could you, um, start by maybe just describing a little bit, like what are emotionally immature parents and how does that affect people's emotional worlds and emotional regulation as adults? Yeah, definitely. So emotionally immature people are people who, for one reason or another, just didn't develop emotionally. Um, So for a lot of emotionally immature people, they tend to get that way because of uh, generational trauma, um, whether something's happened down the line or something did happen to them that kind of stunted them emotionally. Um, Other reasons are just the natural lack of awareness that our entire society has had about emotions over the past few decades. Um, We're finally getting to a point where mental health isn't nearly as taboo to talk about and it's okay to talk about emotions with your kids. And so, you know, even if there was no quote unquote trauma that happened, you know, the the like big T trauma, as people say, um, just the sheer fact that a lot of times it wasn't okay to talk about your emotions with other adults, let alone with your own kids, Mm -hmm. uh, led to these people just not knowing how to handle their emotions. And emotionally immature people are are essentially stunted in that growth. So a lot of times they act very childish whenever it comes to deep emotional things or conversations that are going to make them feel emotionally uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And then that lack of emotional development, how do you see that affecting the children that they end up raising? So ultimately, if you don't know how to do something, you can't teach someone else how to do it. So Mm -hmm. I have said on my TikTok a lot of times that emotionally immature people raise emotionally immature people, Mm -hmm. because if you don't know how to regulate your own emotions, you can't teach your kids how to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, because we have to figure something out to go through life, these parents will figure out a way to try to handle their emotions that is not the healthiest. And then they will directly or indirectly pass that on to their kids, whether they're teaching their kids, don't cry, that's not okay. Or whether they are, even with the best of intentions, say, going in another room to cry whenever they feel overwhelmed, they're Mm -hmm. inadvertently teaching their children, it's not okay to cry, Um, or at least making it so they're not familiar with what that is. So then these kids are left to fend for themselves to figure out their own emotions. And it's a cycle. Yeah, yeah. And I found also that, I mean, the way that that emotional disconnect gets internalized Um, like the way that kids interpret their parents' lack of emotional availability is often like really wrapped up with shame, you know, because Mm -hmm. the children obviously don't have the developmental capacity to be like, oh, wow, my parents don't know how to regulate their own emotions. And like, it's an intergenerational trauma thing. And so the interpretation is often like, they don't care about me or they don't love me or my feelings don't matter or, you know, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things, right? 
Exactly. And that's, that's on the milder end. You know, that's a lot of the emotionally immature parents who have the best of intentions and are are kind of on one end of the spectrum. I, I always say it kind of falls on a spectrum where you can have emotionally immature people who have love and care and really want to do well for their kids and they just truly don't know how to do it. Um, and then you can have all the way at the other end, people who, you know, don't know how to regulate their emotions that are explosive about it, where they might actually put their own emotions on kids, mm-hmm. um, or redirect it in ways that are destructive for themselves or, or their children. Um, so yeah. there's a big range in how that affects them. But at, at its core, the most common thing is exactly what you described. I, I don't know how to ha- handle my own emotions. And I don't know what's going on with my parents. So I'm just here alone, handling my stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it can be kind of like a, on the emotional neglect spectrum of just like not, not being able to provide any of that, like attunement or engagement or empathy or, or co-regulation. Um, but then also I think emotionally immature parents, a lot of the times what I see is like a huge amount of projection and like enmeshment mm-hmm. and poor boundaries on the other mm-hmm. side of things. Right. Cause like, if you don't have if you don't have emotional maturity and you don't have awareness of your own triggers and your own needs, then those things just end up getting kind of like subconsciously projected onto everyone around you. Um, or that, that kind of role reversal, which I'm sure you've seen a lot where there's like parentification and the child ends up feeling almost like responsible for their parents' emotions and happiness. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I work a lot with, uh, what's called an internalizer. So someone Mm. who is very kind of buttoned up and keeps their emotions to themselves and is constantly worrying about everyone else around them. You know, oftentimes they label as people pleasers and that you see all the time, the parentification, the role reversal, the enmeshment, um, you know, it's, it's a common thing that leads to then, growing up and putting everybody before yourself, which sometimes you can't put a finger on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it can be hard to identify. You mean where, where that comes from or like what caused those, those patterns? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty common. You know, it's, it's, I'll be honest, it's kind of hard for me to kind of market myself because it can be really hard to have like very specific pain points that people have Mm -hmm. because I mean, I've had people come in across the spectrum of just life stressors. um, But it all kind of boils down once we move past the life stressors to I don't know how to handle my emotions about things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of that, I mean, I I have heard people call it the invisible trauma. um, Mm. Because it's not something that you can see on someone's body, right? And it's often not something that we can identify in ourselves, because we don't know what we're missing. Right. Right. We we can't look into the emotional regulation of someone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we just think this is normal. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I saw this chart the other day. I can't remember where I saw it, but it was like a, it was a grid describing like different parenting styles. um, And then looking at the ways that we can like internalize those ways that we were parented in the ways that we parent them parent ourselves and one of them was like the kind of um cold and permissive which is like the neglectful parent Mm -hmm. um but then they also had the like cold and rigid which was like more of the like harsh you know harsh rigid um maybe like abusive parent Mm -hmm. and then there was another one that was warm and permissive which was like um I think they called it the whatever you want parent where it's like they're not cold but there's no like healthy guidance or structure or boundaries and Mm -hmm. um and then there was kind of like the healthy parent 
And they gave examples of how we might internalize those and treat ourselves the same way. And I thought it made a lot of sense. I'm curious if you've seen this where like, you know, let's say that you were neglected and you weren't, you weren't cared for that that might show up with self-neglect of like not feeding yourself and staying in bed all day and like depression and, you know, not, um, not advocating for yourself. And then the, um, the harsh and rigid maybe gets internalized as like a really harsh inner critic and being really mean to yourself and really strict with yourself. So we can almost like recreate the same dynamics that we experienced with our parents in the ways that we relate to ourselves growing up. Yeah, definitely. So that's, that's a good kind of overview of what we're looking at, because there, there are four separate types of emotionally immature parents, and there's commonalities across all of them in terms of Mm. how they affect their, their kids. Um, But they, you know, you can have different effects depending on what your parent looks like, very similar to, to that chart. So for example, the, the one that I talk about the most um, in my content is an emotionally reactive, emotionally immature mm. parent, um, just because I see that the most. Um, but that kind of parent then can lead honestly both ways. Um, as I said, some people will internalize more where they kind of assume that other people's emotions are their responsibility or their fault. Um, and they need to do something about it, which that can manifest a lot in anxiety. Um, it can manifest a lot in the people pleasing and the, the kind of denying of one one's own needs. Um, or it can go the other direction, which is what's called externalizing, which is essentially when you take on the, the mannerisms of your parent and you start to deal with your emotions in the same way that your parent did. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that is a lot more apparent to people when you're an externalizer, if you're putting on, you know, putting your emotions on other people, getting, you know, excessively angry, things like that. Um, but it can be equally as hard to put a finger on why that's the case. I've seen that in both cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the emotionally reactive parent you said. Yeah, so those those are the ones that I tend to see the most, but there are just kind of like what you said, like a passive parent. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the kinds of parents where, say, they stay with an abusive uh, partner, yeah. um, you know, to try to reduce the the disruption to the home, and they're often a lot more likely to be passive emotionally, you know, to not show mm-hmm. a lot of emotion a lot of the time, um, and to not even really get super defensive, to just kind of take what they're Mm. given. Um, There is like, you know, I can't remember the exact name, but like a cold type, like you were saying, where that parent kind of sees their children as a burden. Um, You know, oftentimes those kinds of people are the people that didn't want children if they really Mm. look deep into themselves. Um, But for whatever reason or another, they had them. And so at this point, they just kind of see that kid as a problem all the time, Mm. which we we can understand and and kind of see how that would affect somebody pretty poorly. so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different, and then there's um, the, the kind of high achieving driven parent, um, which is super interesting to me and then is probably the one I'm the least familiar with. Um, but those kinds of parents appear the most normal um, mm. on the outside, uh, but they are driving their kid to perfection, get all A's, get into a great college, yeah. do a great career. And they're very rigid as, as to what they expect from their kids. So all four of those parents can lead to that externalizing or internalizing, but they might show up in different ways. As you said, like one might have a harsher inner critic or one might be more anxious. Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, what is the process like for people like discovering and understanding their parents' emotional immaturity and how it affected them? Like, is I'm, you know, I know it varies a lot, but what are some of the things that you see with that like discovery and understanding process? See, I think it's really interesting because it, it, it can, uh, often comes back to that, uh, that spectrum mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people with parents who are on the higher end of the spectrum in any of the four types, um, depending on their exposure to other people, if say they had one emotionally immature parent and one emotionally mature parent, or say emotionally mature family members that didn't fall into the family system of like coddling mm-hmm. the emotionally immature parent, then they might realize it a lot sooner. Um, and I've had, you know, many clients who come to me saying, I know exactly what's going on. Like, I, we don't need any education here. I just need to handle myself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then you go on the the other end of the spectrum and not always, but I tend to find that the people who have no idea what's going on and we kind of have to have, to have a come to Jesus talk, so to mm-hmm. speak, um, is on the lower end of the spectrum where their parent maybe has never been physically abusive, never been particularly verbally abusive, but maybe has been gaslighting them a little bit or just the the kind of little you know death by a thousand cuts type of comments right. mm-hmm. that just sneak themselves into people's psyches and they don't realize where all of that's coming from they just think that's how you're supposed to think about yourself right um, right so oftentimes we come to that in therapy together you know where we have had a few sessions we worked on some of the immediate stuff and then we start to talk about where this comes from and it, it literally smacks them in the face like a v8 <laughs> yeah yeah totally um, yeah yeah i i noticed also um or i have noticed that with people that have those parents where there was a lot of like parentification and adultification Mm -hmm. that that can make it hard to realize because the children are almost trained to have like a protectiveness over their parents. Right. Like there's Mm -hmm. this conditioning of like, I can't hurt mom's feelings or like, I can't, you know, like I have to Mm -hmm. be really like, um, walking on eggshells with this parent. And so then when it comes time to face like, oh, wow, these are the ways that my parent has like messed up or, or has hurt me. There can almost be like a lot of difficulty, accepting that or, or fear of, um, like losing the connection or losing the closeness Mm -hmm. or something like that. Cause the, the emotionally immature parents can be more distanced or they can be close, but close in this like unhealthy role reversal type of way. Mm -hmm. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something where I definitely in the parentification, I see that a lot where it's, it's normalized, right. Mm -hmm. Especially kids who are parentified from a very young age, um, it just becomes so normal. And because we're not walking around to our friends as kids going, what's your mom like? <laughs> you know, right, like right. Does she, you know, hug you when you cry or no? Um, we don't often realize that this is abnormal. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not great until we get into adulthood. And by the time we hit adulthood, we all kind of are supposed to have this set of skills, mm-hmm. right, in order to interact with each other and with the world. And so you don't often realize that until you get to adulthood. And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't have this skill that I need. What, what? (laughs) And you may not even realize that you're missing a skill. It's just like, why can't I do what everybody else is doing? Right. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. Why do I, why do I struggle with X, Y, and Z? It's kind of like the question people have when they come into therapy and then you follow that question down to its root and it it goes back to this Mm -hmm. emotionally immature parents. Yeah. Um, 
Okay. So, um, when you mentioned like the passive parent, I wanted to highlight that too, because, Mm -hmm. um, I see that a lot, especially with families where maybe one parent was kind of like the obvious aggressor or like the Mm -hmm. obvious, you know, abusive person. Um, and then naturally because of that, the child is more attached to the passive parent who's not like Mm -hmm. overtly abusive. And then a lot of the times I feel like people come to therapy and they have this idea of like, I need to process the trauma that happened with, you know, this one parent, this like abusive parent, you know, mom or dad. Um, and then as you're doing that processing slowly, they get to the point of realizing like, oh, actually there's like maybe, you know, as much, or maybe even more pain associated with this passive parent who like failed to protect me, but mm-hmm. it can be harder to notice. Cause it's more about what they didn't do instead of what they did do, right. which is kind of the difficulty with emotional neglect to begin with. Right. Is it's like mm-hmm. what you're saying, like, it's a lot easier to point out like, oh, someone, you know, punched me or hit me versus like, all these missing things that you don't even know you should be getting because you don't know what, what it's supposed to look like. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's, I think often why I see a lot of people coming in because they um, are trying to have children or have had children Mm. and have recognized like they're, they're now in a spot where they can remember their parent being um, Mm, and looking at their own kids and going, I could never, right. I could never let, my kid get hit by someone else, or I could never, you know, not support them during this tough thing or hold them when they cry. And it causes, I like to call it like the does not compute, Mm. (laughs) you know, the like cognitive dissonance in their brain. They're like, I, I, I would never do this. And they've grown up with this thought of, well, you know, maybe it was me or who knows, I don't know, but that's just how it is. And then when you're confronted with it right in front of you as a parent, Uh, you start to realize, okay, maybe this isn't how it is. And that can become intensely uncomfortable. So, I mean, oftentimes that's something that can prevent people from from either coming to therapy or from processing, you know, like a passive parent in therapy, because it's a much deeper wound to heal compared to like active, you know, physical abuse, things that you could see. Right, right. Yeah, it's so true. Um, I see that a lot too, definitely uh, clients that have like recently had children and it's causing all of this childhood trauma to come up and need to be processed. Um, And the, the kind of like confusion of well, why did I, why do I struggle so much? Um, when no one hit me or no one, you know, that's something I see Mm -hmm. a lot too, where if they didn't have like the actively abusive parent, but instead they had like passive neglectful parents, there can be this shame and this invalidation of like, well, why am I so messed Mm -hmm. up? Like X, Y, and Z didn't happen to me. But again, it's about, it's about all the things that were supposed to happen that didn't. And that can be so, so much harder to recognize. Right, exactly. I and I hear that exact phrase so much. Like, I why am I so messed up? Because nothing bad happened. Yeah. You know, our our brains are so good at looking back on the past and like painting it with a nice pretty light, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and assuming that everything was fine and dandy and normal. Um, and it, it can be really challenging, you know, both as a client to come in and to kind of have that safety blanket taken away, so to speak. Um, but also I'll admit as a therapist to kind of come in and and say like, hey, your childhood is not this ro- sunshine and roses that your brain is making it out to be. Um, 
because it's, it's painful and it's, you know, it's, it feels unsafe to process Mm -hmm. and to really identify, Hey, there are things that I was missing. Um, you know, so it's really helps to, to kind of do a lot of build up work in my opinion, to get to that, uh, before we kind of yank the curtain back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, cool. Well, I think that's a good intro to like what, what kinds of backgrounds, you know, necessitate this like reparenting Mm -hmm. exercises. So can you talk a little bit about what that process actually looks like? Like, how do you teach people to reparent? What does that mean? So everybody is different. So what I tend to do in my practice is uh, acceptance and commitment therapy or, Mm -hmm. or ACT for short. Um, and I like to specify it's a cognitive therapy with experiential elements. Mm. Um, so it still is very thought forward, but there's a lot of mindfulness work worked into that. Like you said earlier, inner child work and things like that, that I find to be really helpful for kind of this subset of folks. Um, you know, so we focus primarily uh, first on really identifying why we're getting into this work. Um, you know, a lot of times I think in therapy, we as therapists, we we tend to get caught in the like problem solving mm-hmm. lens, you know, because we're people too. We want to fix people's pain. Um, but being able to really make it clear what is it that we're looking to do and why is it important for us to do it, I think mm-hmm. really sets us up for success. Um, so I primarily start with figuring out the whys that people have. Um, for example, if someone is getting super angry at their kids a lot because they can't regulate their own anger, I might talk to them about what's important about their kids. What do they care about about their kids? How do they want their interactions with their kids look? Mm-hmm. Um, and help them to really kind of visualize that so that we can have something to strive for. And that's something that'll keep them moving through the hard work because it is really hard work. Yeah. So it sounds like kind of anchoring in specific goals for like, okay, I want to be able to kind of specifically build like this capacity for emotional regulation in this relationship Mm -hmm. or kind of having like an anchored, uh, anchoring in specific symptoms that you're wanting to be able to like shift Mm-hmm, definitely. So looking at how do we replace these behaviors that are um, in act, we talk about away moves and towards moves. Um, so away moves are the things that you might do, the choices that you might make that are going to take you further away from the kind of life you want to live, the rich, fulfilling, valuable life you're looking for, whereas towards moves are going to take you closer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at the things that you're currently doing that are away moves, such as like yelling at your kid whenever they won't put their coat on, um, mm-hmm. to the towards moves, which are maybe to just take the coat and hand it to the child rather than continuing to yell at them. Yeah. For yeah. example. Um, and the things that kind of move us to make those choices are our values and the things that we find really important. So mm. um, what's actually interesting is, is I do talk about kind of the goals in a sense of, you know, what do you want to see yourself doing? But I talk even more about the values um, just because I think as us, us as a society can really get caught up in like the check boxes, mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, here it is. Um where we also want to look at, okay, the reason why I want to hand my child their coat instead of yelling at them is because I want to show my child kindness and compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because that can then leach into daily life and various choices 
without kind of bringing the shame that not meeting a goal can sometimes bring. Yeah. Yeah. So there is, yeah, it sounds like there's kind of like a, an action oriented element of it mm-hmm. too, which is like, how, how do you actually like show up in, in your present day life in a way that aligns with your values and aligns mm-hmm. with like the, the kind of healthy inner parenting that you're wanting to do. Um, mm-hmm, what right. about when someone really struggles to like emotionally regulate? Cause we were, you know, we were talking about like the lack of emotional attunement. Mm-hmm. So when someone hasn't experienced any of that emotional attunement, um, and then they have these strong emotions come up, what does it look like to, you know, teach someone how to like attune to their feelings and regulate their feelings when kind of, like you said, there's no, there's no blueprint right. for it. Like they never experienced mm-hmm. it before. So this is where it, it can get really interesting because there's a lot of different kind of places this can come from. Um, I think a lot of people just as a, an aside in this process, find it really kind of baffling just how much we actually do teach our children without meaning to. Mm. <laughs> um, because when someone comes in with these emotions, the first kind of step is to make sure they actually can feel them. Um, Because depending on how severe their trauma is, as I'm sure you've seen too, you know, Mm -hmm. it can get to the point where the body has, has shoved the emotions down so much that it's now numbness and that's it. Yeah. Um, So if that's the case, we want to try to link them um, by kind of connecting to their body sensations and allowing them to just experience whatever's happening while trying not to get caught up in any judgment their brain, brain is bringing to them. So, um, oftentimes that's the first two things that we do both to assess how able they are to feel their emotions and to try to help them start to really bring them back up is to what we call anchor, which is essentially a form of grounding that takes into account your thoughts, your feelings, your environment, your body, kind of everything all at once, um, in a a curiosity, a lack of judgment, um, so I'm going to check into, you know, here's what my mind is saying to me. Here's how my body's feeling. Let me remind myself that I'm in control of my body no matter what. Uh, and here's where I am. So if we're in a therapy okay. session, I might encourage them to say, you know, I'm in a therapy session with Jess. I'm here. I'm safe, you know, to remember kind of what's going on around them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um And in addition to that, the, you know, the kind of things that your mind says about various emotions, um, which again, can be direct or indirect from your parents, you know, if your parents said, don't cry, I'll give you something to cry about. There's probably some part of your brain that's saying crying equals weakness or crying is bad. You don't cry in front of other people. And so being able to call those to light and recognize them for what they are um, Mm -hmm. is the next step. Um, So you know, as somebody's crying, and I can notice on their face that they seem to be not, you know, not happy about it. Um, I might ask them, what's your mind telling you about this experience? Mm. You know, what is it saying that you need to listen to? Um, or that you think you need to listen to? And so then they might say those things. And we talk about, well, how old is that story? You know, is, is that, can you hear that in someone else's voice? Is there someone who told you that originally? And then how does it affect you to continue to let this story come up and force its way into your vision? Um, That's the big difference I find a lot um, between something like this and some of the more standard cognitive therapies like CBT or things like that. The, the words true, false, good, bad, rationally, rational, do not enter our vernacular here. Mm. Um, and I'm adamant on that with my clients. Like I know, especially if you've been to CBT before, that that is something you're going to naturally gravitate to. Um, 
I don't often get very direct with my clients in this way, but I say, this is the time where I'm going to kind of wrap your knuckles with a, with a ruler. <laughs> say if, like, if we're not doing this. Like if they're invalidating themselves yes. and their own experiences with that kind of like language mm-hmm. of uh, irrational or that kind of judgment. Right. To continue to call to light that, I mean, our society supports that. And again, if they've been through other types of therapy, they're going to have that. Um, that doesn't matter, you know, in, in kind of my type of therapy mm-hmm. when, you know, you could tell me that you believe that there's a flying spaghetti monster in the sky and I'm going to say, okay, well, how is that affecting your life? Mm-hmm. Cause that's what we're here for. I don't really care whether it's true or false. Right. Right. Yeah. The, the stories are what they are and it's not about right. if they're rational or not. It's about if they feel true and how they affect us, which is, which is very experiential. You know, that's definitely aligned with like more mm-hmm. kind of IFS and coherence therapy of like right. these things that feel true affect and guide our thoughts and our feelings and our responses, regardless of how like logical they may be. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's, it's hard to step away from for people. Cause our, our, you know, our society values logical and rational and all that stuff. And, and obviously we could talk all day about how things like CBT are very pushed, you know, especially with insurances and things like that. So it can be really hard to, to step out of that, especially when you've had emotionally immature parents and are not really, you know, in tune with your own emotions. So mm-hmm. intellectualizing things like that are, are common things that we have to work through at the start of therapy in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So back to what you were saying a couple minutes ago about the reparenting. So it, it sounds mm-hmm. like um, a lot of what you focus on with people is having them practice, or at least the first step, right. Is for people to be able to even just name and notice their emotions without spiraling mm-hmm. into like judgment and invalidation. Because right. even that is like a form of attunement that a lot of us don't get in emotionally mm-hmm. immature households, right? Just to have that adult presence to be like, oh, you seem sad. Like, it's okay to be sad. Let's like sit with that for a little bit. Um, and instead, you know, there's all of these different ways that we learn to like dismiss our own emotions or shut down or dissociate or shame or judge. So it sounds like even just that first piece of just like, okay, what am I feeling? And can I just like make space for that feeling and name that feeling and accept that feeling is like Mm -hmm. a a big part of it, right? Right, exactly. And that's why I kind of label what I'm doing is reparenting because just like you said, the you seem sad, you know, it's okay. It sounds like something that you would say to like a four-year-old. Right. You know, <laughs> but these people did not grow up in households where that was given, right? Either mm-hmm. emotions weren't labeled at all, or they were labeled and then immediately shamed. Mm-hmm. So being able to call to attention what you're actually feeling and label it, like I'm noticing a lot of anger right now, even just saying it that way, right? I've had plenty of, of clients who are, are in my office and I say, can you reframe that? Instead of saying, I'm angry, say, I'm noticing some anger. And even that little thing is enough to start to unhook them from that anger. Yeah. Um, where it's just a part of their overall experience rather than the core of their being. Yeah, yeah. And then, so, so that's kind of like present oriented, right? Where that's how we meet yeah. ourselves, like in the moment when things are coming up. Um, what about that kind of like maybe deeper processing of the past or do you do like inner child work or do you mostly focus on that kind of like present oriented practice? I do both. It depends on what someone needs. Um, inner child work is something that comes up quite often, you know, and kind of in this area, 
Um, especially when people's parents were on the like higher end of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whenever there could have been, you know, overt, uh, emotional abuse or neglect in that way, um, that looking back on it, it's a little easier to put a finger on what was wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, in those kinds of situations, a lot of times what I find is that someone, you know, is an adult now. And so they're kind of looking back on those experiences with an adult lens, Mm -hmm. And so that processing might be necessary to help them kind of recognize, you know, we all get caught up in trauma processing of like hindsight's 2020. I should have, you know, the self blame. I should have, you know, Mm -hmm. from my dad when he got angry, or I shouldn't have said that to him whenever he got angry, things like that. Um, Being able to kind of do a little bit of inner child work um, is helpful to understand yourself and to kind of start to heal that shame Um, But I also find that it's helpful in day to day, um, because I'll talk a lot with my clients that their inner child is often the one that's showing the sadness, the vulnerability, Mm -hmm. the fear, and their inner teen is the one that's showing the anger, the, the defensiveness and things like that. And so, you know, in another way to unhook, but also to validate themselves, you know, I'll encourage them to ask, you know, say if they're having trouble with anger, you know, your inner teen is getting really loud right now. Maybe can we ask them why they're getting so loud? Mm-hmm. You know, just like you would approach an actual teenager. Hey, we're screaming. We don't need to scream. What's going on? What do you need? What is the, What are you telling us right now? Exactly. What's underneath this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. When we immediately invalidate and just say, no, I'm not allowed to be angry right now. I mean, this helps people kind of understand why that's a problem for themselves. Because I say, if you walked up to a teenager who was yelling at you and said, shut up, like, I don't care. You know, what are they going to do? They're just right. going to yell louder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you mentioned the like, um, how people will look back on their childhoods from an adult perspective and how that mm-hmm. can somehow sometimes make it hard to like, process those emotional wounds because like one thing I see a lot, especially with people where, you know, so they, they have emotionally immature parents and then they kind of start learning about like intergenerational trauma and they start like doing their own healing. And so then they develop a lot of empathy or understanding for like why their parents were the way that they were. And Mm -hmm. it can kind of, I mean, it's valuable, right. To understand that, but it can kind of become almost like an intellectualizing thing yep. where they're kind of saying like, well, logically, I understand that like my mom had an even worse childhood than I had. So it's like, you know, she didn't mean to be that way. Or, you know, I can have, I can understand why, you know, my dad didn't know how to, how to connect with me or be close to me. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, from an adult perspective, that's helpful to know, but like your inner child didn't know that, you know, you didn't, right. you didn't grow up knowing that you grew up feeling like no one loved you and you were alone in the world. And, you know, no one connected to you or, and so we have to like attune to those parts of you too. And, and how it felt growing up and not use that logical understanding as a way to like bypass those deeper Mm -hmm. feelings. Have you found that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's something that a lot of people tend to fall into, whether before they come to therapy or in the middle of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I often find myself to avoid that exact trap is I will kind of help them process that as I'm giving the education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've said to many people, your parents might have done their best and that still wasn't enough. Right. You know, because I, I get that a lot with the internalizers, the people pleasers, the parentified kids. They're like, oh, well, my mom, exactly as you said, that she was working all the time. And so she didn't have time to be with me. And like, OK, so maybe she was doing that to take care of you. But also that still wasn't enough. And it's OK to admit that. 
you yes. know, to come yeah. to a point where you can validate your parents' struggles and also acknowledge that you need it more. And that's right. going to be really uncomfortable. Yeah. And it, a, uncomfortable too, because it's holding nuance, right? Which is like, yeah. we tend to, especially in a dysregulated state, like to look at things in more of a black and white way. Mm-hmm. And that's like some kind of complexity to hold, to be like, yeah, like I can see my parents' humanity see maybe even their good intentions and also hold space for like how much damage was done in my own upbringing. Right. Right. And that actually is kind of a, the next piece after we're able to notice and name the emotions and, and kind of give that grounding piece, trying to separate from the judgment is holding that nuance, you know? So Mm. being able to recognize that, you know, all of the feelings we can feel in this complex ball are okay to feel in that complex ball. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think us as a society tend to be very simplistic with emotions, but when it comes to emotional immaturity, that makes it even worse. Mm -hmm. You know, again, thinking about a child, they're not going to say, well, I'm angry and sad and a little bit happy mom, you know, they're right. They're just finding one and sticking with it. And so if you haven't learned how to regulate, then you're likely to kind of get caught up in that find one and stick with it. Whereas, you know, looking back at an abusive childhood, you know, people will say, well, I feel sad that I was abused in that way. I feel angry that my parent didn't stand up for me. And I feel happy that I am not going to pass that along to my kids. Mm-hmm. And us figuring out how to integrate all of that together as a show of your values and the kind of person that you are um, can really help not just processing the trauma itself, but going forward with just day-to-day stuff, being able to give yourself space for all of that put together can really reduce a lot of the internal battles that people tend to get into. Yeah. Well, because that is a skill of emotionally mature people is to be able to hold nuance and complex emotions. Right. And so that's another thing that we don't get in those kinds of environments. So Mm -hmm. even that in and of itself is kind of a reparenting practice to be like, how can I allow space for, for multiple things to be true at once? Exactly. Exactly. And that's, it's really hard and, and helping people to get to that point and also helping them to unhook from the judgment Mm -hmm. of getting to that point. Um, as well as kind of, you know, a part of the the process that we do throughout is helping them to separate from the agenda that, you know, society, uh, parents, you know, a whole bunch of people place on us that these negative emotions are bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And just allowing us to recognize that this is okay. And it usually means something about us. You know, so Mm -hmm. the sadness that we feel when we look back on, you know, our our childhood means that we care about ourselves and Mm -hmm. we can't have one without the other. Um, And I find that that is a huge kind of aspect with emotionally immature people and the children of emotionally immature people is that they often either were expressly taught or, you know, indirectly taught that you just get rid of your bad emotions. That's not a good thing to feel. Um, and they don't realize that they, they flush one, they flush them all. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Been, yeah. Then that's where you can't figure out what's wrong, why you can't feel joyful. Um, yeah. we have mm-hmm. to bring it all back. That's such a big thing that I found too. It's like the, 
when, when you have to distance yourself from painful emotions, you lose access to that, like full range of human experience and you lose access to that, like playfulness and that joy. And so having to like, welcome back all those emotions and even welcoming back like joy and play can almost be threatening to people sometimes. And that also Mm -hmm. had to be shut off. Like, it's not just the painful emotions. It, It can even be like, you know, more like quote unquote positive emotions that can be difficult to access. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've definitely seen that when people have, you know, the parentification, you know, it's like they can't allow themselves to be more carefree, um, you know, or or when they just don't have the access to that emotion. It's like, mm-hmm. it feels unsafe to pursue things that provide joy. Yeah. And so it's all across the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So those are, those are like kind of the first two steps. What, what else are there other parts of this process that you'd like to mention? Yeah. So, I mean, we generally start with those first few steps because that's usually where a lot of people are caught up. Um, but we do this kind of all at once. Um, one of the things that I really love about ACT is that it is super flexible. Um, You know, it can be structured in whatever way the client needs. Um, You know, so we can start from anywhere. It's if um, there's six parts that we talk about that are basically related to opening up and kind of making room for the emotions that are coming through as we've talked about being here, being present, being able to kind of notice what's going on with yourself and also being able to do what matters. So take action on the things that are valuable. So we can come at it from any direction at any point, which I really love. Um, So if we haven't already at that point, a lot of times we focus on, okay, what does this actually look like in in your day-to-day life? Now that you're starting to understand yourself, make room for your emotions, how does your life change? And oftentimes this comes up naturally because people build their lives around their pain points and what they need. And so once they start to heal, then they realize there are certain aspects of their life that are not working for them anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we might need to make changes there, whether it's in a relationship or in their family life, setting healthy boundaries with their parents, if they're still in contact with their parents, or even going no contact with their parents for some people Mm -hmm. um, is a big thing, you know, changing how they're interacting with their children, or maybe a job shift, a a move even, Mm -hmm. um, you know, any of those kinds of things that now fit their, you know, growing healed self, rather than their traumatized self um, Mm -hmm. is a major way that we we kind of foster that growth after we've processed some trauma. Yeah, yeah. So kind of like after you've processed what the original experiences were and how they affected you, and you start kind of building those skills, it sounds like it's then a process of kind of integrating like, yeah, what what does it look like? What does it feel like to be in this new space of like, kind of these corrective emotional experiences and what does that mean in terms of, I mean, I guess all kinds of facets of life, right? Like friendships, romantic relationships, work, parenting, Mm -hmm. the way you just like care for your body. Like there's so many shifts that can come from that, that inner work. Right. Definitely. I mean, cause you know, when you have uh, emotional immaturity in the family, then the family is going to shift and change usually to accommodate the emotionally immature person. So, you know, now that we're starting to heal, maybe this family system is not working for me anymore. Um, You know, maybe I took a job that was very focused on the skill set that I had, 
um, that I don't want to rely on anymore now that I'm healing. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. people who uh, grow up being parentified or people pleasers go into caregiving professions. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so as we both know. You're talking um, to one. <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, and so, you know, sometimes that means that you might want to shift your career. Other times it's reconciling what that means for you. You know, mm -hmm. I've had plenty of people who feel some type of way about saying like, this is a strength of mine and I'm proud of it, but also labeling it as a product of their trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes. it's an interesting process. <laughs> no, it, it definitely is. It's like, um, my experience with that, because I, you know, I was definitely kind of adultified and parentified in my own mm -hmm. upbringing. And I, I was in that role that I think a lot of us therapists were probably put in oldest mm -hmm. daughter, you know, oldest sibling kind of yep. like became like a caregiver mediator, you know, for my family. And then it mm -hmm. extended out into my friendships where I was like the therapist friend as a teenager, yep. right? Like I was the friend that, you know, everyone calls when they're suicidal and I'm, you know, <laughs> talking, trying to talk right. people through things that I have no, you know, experience with. <laughs> as a teenager. Um, but becoming a therapist, I feel like has actually been like really healing and reparative. And, you know, mm -hmm. I had already done quite a bit of processing around this before entering the field, but what it represents for me is I get to use these strengths, but now with like boundaries around them. Right. Yes. Because yeah. being parentified and being in that caregiver role, you don't have any boundaries. Like you're just kind of on call all the time to always mm -hmm. be, you know, caring for other people. And as a therapist, it's like the opposite of that, where, you know, I get to help people and I get to be in that, in that supportive role, but there's like clear boundaries around, you know, how long we talk and how often we meet and like when people have access to me and I get to like turn my phone off at a certain point every night. And I get to, you mm -hmm. know, um, take off that caregiver hat and let myself like be cared for outside of work. And so it, to me, it's been a way to like use those strengths, but get to experience them in a way, which is like balanced and, and boundaried. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's very well said. I think it can become really, really transformative to really move into the profession in a way that fits with both your strengths and, you know, kind of what you need mm -hmm. um, so that you're not getting, you know, kind of drawn in quarters, so to speak, every yeah. time you're putting yourself out there. And that can be a huge challenge. I mean, for for not just therapists, but I, you know, I have a lot of doctors, nurses, mm -hmm. massage therapists, you mm -hmm. know, like any of those caregiving professions where they want to help people. And oftentimes they break those boundaries without even realizing it. Right, right. Cause you're, you get so used to not being allowed to protect your boundaries or have, right. you know, yeah, totally. Oh, such a, such a good topic. And so for, for people that are listening who are like, okay, I need this. I have emotionally immature parents. How would you suggest that people can find resources or like what, where can people go if they are resonating with this episode? So I definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm a little biased. I definitely recommend seeking out an ACT therapist if you can, just because I think it's a good starting point for anybody to kind of gauge your uh, understanding and your ability to mm. do some of the things that we've talked about. I feel like it's a good mix of more cognitive focused therapies and more experiential focused therapies. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like a good entry point, especially if you're more used to cognitive therapies. Um, I often will share with people that it's not likely a good idea for you to go for some CBT. Um, some people find it helpful. I generally don't find it helpful in this population just because mm -hmm. it can be very gassy 
gaslighty. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes the emotionally immature parent can be a little gaslighty. <laughs> so it just kind mm-hmm. of supports that, that not great, um, pattern. Yeah. Um, some people need something definitely a lot more experiential. Like I've referred clients on to like EMDR or IFS, you know, yeah. things that are much more focused if they need to. But I find that seeking out ACT therapy can be a really first start. Mm-hmm. Um, if for some reason you don't have access to therapy, or if you do, I recommend this to literally everyone. Um, the book by Lindsay Gibson, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend to anybody who thinks this might be them and they want to know more. Um, it's a v- fantastically written book, short, sweet, to the point, um, and gives a lot of really helpful, concrete stuff that you can learn about. Um, she's written other ones as well that I have not gotten a chance to read admittedly, um, that are more focused on, okay, what do I do with this information? Um, but she is very well versed in this. Um, and I think that's really helpful. Um, I would do both if I Mm -hmm. could recommend anybody, if you have access to therapy, go ahead and read the book, bring the book in. Um, if you can find someone who says that they specialize in emotional neglect, emotional trauma, that's going to be best. Um, I will say I have not, at least in my research, found a lot of people who identify as I do, at least in my region. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can look for reparenting folks, you know, who say that they are are good with that or good with, um, honestly, like narcissistic abuse. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, we can split hairs and talking about what is an emotionally immature person and a narcissist, but the effects are pretty much the same for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's also a good place to look. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of, uh, like finding, finding resources outside of therapy, um, I was going to add, um, Pete Walker's book, uh, complex PTSD from surviving to thriving has some really Mm -hmm. great stuff about like reparenting and kind of some like Mm -hmm. good, good tools for that. Um, and I think there's even like some inner child workbooks and stuff that you can get um, that probably have some good exercises in them. So awesome. Yeah. There's a, a lot of really great, um, if you like the concept of ACT, there's a lot of really great books um, and workbooks and things like that. Um, I always recommend anything written by uh, Russ Harris. Um, he is very well-versed in ACT, very great. Um, as a therapist, I highly recommend his trainings if you're wanting get in, to get into ACT, but he has written books uh, like The Happiness Trap, mm. um, which I, I recommend to literally everybody, <laughs> um, just because it's a nice overview of about how we get stuck in trying to be happy and how that can end up, you know, biting us in the butt. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also some really great, you know, workbooks and, and things like that, that peop- other people have posted or have uh, written, I should say, um, that uh, really address things from that perspective, if you're really wanting something uh, from that perspective. Oftentimes, it's also written as like acceptance and mindfulness. It's not Mm. always referred to as act. um, But that can be kind of along the same vein. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. And I guess just as a last question, um, is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to talk about or just anything else that feels like important to to mention today? Uh, I guess I just like to to comment to a lot of people. This is a problem that is becoming more and more well known. Um, And I think it's helpful to keep in mind that this is something that, you know, 
hopefully doesn't have to be shameful. I talk a lot to the children of emotionally immature parents on my, in my content on my TikTok, but I like to try to speak to the emotionally immature parents themselves as well. And to let them know that uh, this doesn't necessarily have to mean something awful. Um, I know that the tendency is going to be to take the criticism uh, or even the label of emotionally immature and to assume that that is some sort of a detriment for you. Um, but definitely the emotionally immature parents in past generations, you grew up in a, in an area where it just wasn't talked about. Mm -hmm. And so this doesn't necessarily have to be a personal failing. It doesn't have to be a morality issue. Um, and coming to therapy can be the best way for you to have a better relationship with yourself as well as with your children. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's, it can be really hard to see your kids distance themselves or even cut you off because of the situation. And I would really like to see both myself and other people work with those folks more. I'd like to see them come to therapy more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. And I feel like it's, I mean, it's like one of the most emotionally mature things you can do to acknowledge <laughs> that you have emotional immaturity right, and that you right. need support. Right. Cause I mean, that's like, that is such it's a hard. huge step. It's, it yeah. is, it's really hard to be like, oh man, like, but it's also, it's just completely natural. Like you said, it's not a personal fault. It's like, how can you know things that you were never taught? Right. Like, exactly. That being modeled, you know, of course. And I think sometimes people can be frustrated too where there's almost resentment about having to learn it as an adult, where you're like, oh, oh like, yeah. you know, just because my parents messed up and didn't teach me this, and now here I am, and I'm 30, and I'm having to learn how to freaking, you know, feel my feelings for the first oh, time. Yeah. And so that frustration, I think, can be a barrier too. And it's like, yeah, you have the right to be upset about that, but also like you deserve to learn these skills so you can live a happier, healthier life. Exactly, exactly. I every single client I work with and do this at some point or another, we hit that stage where they're yeah. like, This is stupid that yeah. I have to deal with this stuff. I'm like, I get it, I know. Don't yeah. it's it's normal, right? But yeah. we're being kind to ourselves and prioritizing, you know, what what's meaningful to us by learning these skills as hard as it is and, and letting yourself you know I'll say like have a temper tantrum it's okay mm -hmm. be mad mm -hmm. <laughs> you know you shouldn't have to learn these things you're right but here we are yeah absolutely awesome well thank you so much for your your time and sharing your expertise um if people are interested in working with you or um asking any questions I, I have your links included in the podcast description are you taking clients right now or no Right now I am full, but I do keep a wait list. So okay. people are welcome to go to my website and add themselves to that. Okay. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you.